I'm your host, Jeff Dawson, for another episode of Dawson's Domain, where we cover the spectrum of life's pressing issues and events, from politics to relationships, sports to horror, alternative history to poetry, humor to baseball coaching, and everything in between. cloudy Saturday afternoon in Dallas, Texas. We appears we've got bigger storms rolling in this evening. Hopefully they won't be as severe as the ones we had a few nights ago during the quote State of the Union address, which we'll get into in a minute. But uh, for those folks in West and Northwest Fort Worth, that was a rocky ride. They got a lot of hail. I believe some of the reports were up to baseball size. Obviously, that does a hell of a lot of damage, but it wasn't as devastating as the storm we had like, what was that, five years ago that started in Denton, went through Frisco, Plano, and pretty well devastated everything in its path, including the city of Wiley. That was a bad hailstorm. Okay, if you want to join in today, the number is 888-627-6008. And, of course, Friday night was spent at Dunstan's with Jerry and Patty Berry, and that was a very interesting relate, uh, discussion of which I think I'll do an episode on about estate planning for those of you that are getting to that age because we went over a lot of stuff, and I reflected back on everything my father had done, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. But as always, it was a fun time, and uh, their friends Lisa and Ken were there. Always good to see them. They have to travel about an hour to get to this fine restaurant in Dallas off of Harry Hines and Regal Row. If you like a good family setting, a reasonably priced meal, then you need to go check out Dunstan's. And every once in a while, you might actually see the owner, Jane Dunstan. He is still plugging away and I believe he's uh, 90 but the man loves to work I think we need more of that in America he doesn't need to but he wants to yeah think about that for a minute okay book review and, and I came up with this book it's entitled Arsenal of Democracy because Joe used that in the State of the Union speech that term was not known to anybody until World War II. And there is a really, this is a really good book. And it focuses around Ford Motor and Henry Ford's opposition to any type of war. He was dead set against war. He didn't care what the politics were, how horrendous it was. He refused to build anything that would assist a military machine. Etzel actually got a call from Rolls-Royce to build engines, and he took it to his dad, and he asked what it was about, and Etzel said, well, we're going to build engines. What are they going to be used for? And Etzel hemmed and hawed and finally said, well, they're going to put them in fighters. Well, that squashed that idea rapidly 
until Roosevelt passed the War Powers Act that basically said, if you don't want to be part of this, then we will come in and take over your company and do with it what we want. Well, since Henry Ford was not a big fan of FDR by any stretch of the imagination, uh, he kind of signed on. In fact, when they built the biggest manufacturing site in the United States, which was called Willow Run, it was a mile and a half long. Well, it's got a dog leg in it because the next county over that they would have to go into was a Democratic county, and Henry Ford wasn't having any of that. Oh, that's how much he hated FDR. But the arsenal of democracy, that is what the United States became. No country had ever manufactured as many ships, tanks, ammunition, planes than the United States did in a very short period of time. Remember, we didn't get into this war until December 8th of 41. We weren't prepared. Our army wasn't prepared. We saw that in the Philippines. MacArthur had the biggest army around and squandered it. The biggest air force that the American Army Air Force had, and it was just wiped out. Good job, Douglas. Well done. Yeah, I have my own opinions, Douglas MacArthur, but that's okay. And when it was all said and done, because we reigned supreme with our alliance with Great Britain and Russia and defeated Germany, Italy, and Japan, we became the arsenal of democracy. But if you really want to see how we got from building planes, basically building planes by hand because Consolidated was building the first B-17s, but they had no assembly line. They literally built them. Well, we'll build this one this way. We'll build this one this way. And Edsel realized that we can't do this. And what we accomplished in such a short period of time is still amazing. And we got dubbed the arsenal of democracy. Someone tell me that applies to a State of the Union address. I don't know. Uh, are they going to enact the War Powers Act on companies and say, if you don't agree with what we're doing, then we're going to come in and take over? Yeah, think about that for a minute. So if you haven't read the book, Arsenal of Democracy, I highly recommend it. Everybody here knows I'm a big baseball fan. I follow the Rangers. I follow the Tigers. It's going to be a long year, a very long year. <laughs> the, the Tigers, I think they're next to last, and the Rangers are last. They show these moments of potential. We saw it not definitely not last night, but the night before. Gibson came in, pitched brilliantly. Rangers win four to one. The announcers are going nuts. Everyone's all excited. And then they get their ass handed to them last night. I don't know about Arihara. His last star was up in Chicago. It was cold. And the announcers were making excuses. Well, it's cold. And he's not used to it. He's from Japan. Do you think it doesn't get cold in Japan? Think again. 
they do have Mount Fuji. It has snow on it. It wasn't just someone go up there and paint it. It gets cold in Japan. So they were making all these excuses like, okay, this is reminiscent of when the Cardinals play, played the Red Sox for the World Series in <coughs> Boston had played a seven-game brutal series with the Yankees in miserable weather, but they got used to it. The Cardinals go up there, and they look like little icicles. They're just popsicles they're standing around freezing to death and i'm like okay maybe when the cardinals get back to st louis they can thaw out and play their game because they were really good that year now the red sox just they had the momentum they came in and they just beat the hell out of the cardinals so arihara is we're back in arlington we are in a dome a one point $2 billion dome. And I thought it was Christmas all over again. He got lit up. What did he get through? 2.1 or two innings. And the game was out of reach. So him as a starting pitcher is really becoming concerning. I understand it's his first year. He's looking for his legs. He's trying to get used to it. Well, the miners are open. If the guy needs seasoning, he needs seasoning. Whereas Dunning, Gibson, they're looking really good. They are, Dunning is definitely the surprise. Gibson's looking much better. Lyles and Fulanewicz, well, let's just say so-so. This And this doesn't surprise me. I was worried from the start about the starting rotation for the Rangers this year. And that's coming to light. Now, Kennedy is a reliever since Leclerc is still on the 60 day DL. Maybe it looks like he found a spot. It's possible. Not sure, but it is very possible that he is going to pick this up. On the rookie side, Adolis Garcia was sorely misused last year, along with most of the squad. For those of us that watched them, the organization didn't decide to play their rookies until the last month of the season when it was all over and nobody really cared. Instead of playing them the whole season, because we knew we're not doing anything, nothing good is going to happen. And it didn't. But he has definitely earned his spot. And Trevino, I have really enjoyed following Trevino. And the Rangers mishandled him. And they're still mishandling him. This guy's got a great bat. He's great defensively. Yet they keep experimenting between him and Haim. Why? I have no idea. It makes zero sense. Trevino's the starting catcher. If you need Heim to come in once a week, once every two weeks, and give the man a break, give the man a break. But it, it, when, when they switch, you can see the big difference between the play of Heim and Trevino. It, it's night and day. That's Trevino's your man. Falefa is doing what Falefa has done ever since he's been with the Rangers. Produce, produce, produce. 
And he doesn't care what position is at, but he has definitely found his spot at shortstop. And there will be some people and detractors that might not agree with this, but uh, he's playing it much better than Elvis did. And his bat is much better. I'm very pleased with Connor Falefa. Solak, he's doing what he's supposed to do. White and Dahl, they look good in the outfield. Gallo is Gallo. He's good in the outfield. He's got a cannon of an arm. But we know when it comes to the plate that he is going to hit 250 to 260 max. They have him in there to hit the booming home runs. Well, you know, we went through that in the 90s when they built the team to hit home runs. And you know how many American League pennants they won in that stretch? Zero. Yeah, they had the stats. Yeah, the Rangers were leading the league in home runs back then, which is fine. And, yes, that excites the fans. Everybody enjoys a good home run. But people also enjoy wins. They also enjoy winning their division and winning the pennant and going to the World Series. When Ron Washington was hired as the manager, that was the first thing he started breaking down. And I was one of the detractors. I wasn't happy, but it's like, okay, let's see what he's, what his philosophy is and how he's going to address these issues that the Rangers have. And he not only addressed them, he took them to the World Series twice. They still had power hitters on the team, but it wasn't built for the long ball like it was in the 90s. So it works. So what do you do with Joey Gallo? Defensively, you really don't want to let him go. But we, we got to do something at the bat. And this is why we're seeing the battle between Guzman and Lowe at first base. Lowe, offensively, has Guzman beat by a mile. There's That's not even a comparison. This guy is lighting it up. All, I mean, man, he comes to the plate and pitchers have got to be fearing him. They haven't gotten to where they're intentionally walking him, but uh, he is dangerous. But Guzman defensively is better. So are you going to use a page from Moneyball where you're more interested in runs and let the defense be okay? I think that's where they are right now at first base. Third base, I don't know where they're at. Halton Culberson, we don't know what we're getting out of them. We really don't. One day they look good, one day they look bad. One day they look good, one day they look bad. How come we don't have a third baseman? See, that's where Falefa used to play. If he wasn't catching, they'd put him at third base. <clears throat> well, that just tells me they don't have a clue. And that is the weak spot. The hot corner is the weak spot defensively on the Rangers right now because we don't know what we're going to do. So do I see the Rangers catching fire and winning this division? Well, if hell froze over, I missed it. No, I do not. 
Now, granted, we're only a month into the season, and a lot of things can happen. A lot of things can really go good, and a lot of things can really go bad. But if they finish middle of the pack, I'll be surprised. In fact, I have a bet with a good friend of mine, Mr. Ford, on how many games that they would win this year, and neither one of them, neither one of us said half. And I'm still holding to that. I don't see them winning 80 games this year, which means it's going to be a long season. Now, I also have to give a shout-out to the kid who I've talked about who plays for the Phillies, Connor Brogdon. He had a really bad outing on April 20th against the Giants. It was ugly. Up until then, he had been brilliant. But for those of us who have watched and played the game, we know sooner or later, you're going to have a bad day. And unfortunately, Connor had a bad day. It was a very bad day. He gave up two home runs and I think six runs in one inning. They were playing in San Francisco. So did the weather have something to do with how his ball reacted? I mean, remember, it, it's cold. Sun goes down San Francisco. It gets cold. You got all that Pacific moisture coming in. Did that affect the action on his ball? Well, it could have. But I was more interested in how's he going to do after this? This is a 26-year-old kid. This is his first real shot in the majors. Now, is he mentally tough? He is mentally tough. He came out in his next save opportunity, relief opportunity, gave up one run. And that was it. So after 10 games and 10 innings, he has an ERA of 6.3, a war of minus 0.2, and a whip of 1.4. Those are all really good stats. But I was very pleased to see him rebound and shake it off. Because the Rangers, I forgot the kid, he actually was a, the, the Cowboys signed him as a backup and the Rangers tried him or no, he tried major league baseball. I think it was in the Yankees organization. And every time he gave up a home run, he just fell apart. He was mentally not tough. So he finally threw a, threw in the spikes for baseball and said, well, I can play football. I think he was only there for like a year or two. And he was dating one of the assistant coaches daughters. So gee, I wonder what, how that played into him getting a spot with the Cowboys, but being Jerry Jones, you, you figure that out. You make up your own mind, but he wasn't mentally tough. Give up a home run. He was done. And all the coaches knew it and all the players knew it. Connor Brogdon proved I belong. He shook off a horrible outing. Got called up four days later and pitched like he knows how to pitch. And as a coach, we can't ask for anything more because we can't teach mental toughness. We can try 
and tell them to shake it off. But when it comes down to it, it is up to that player to not only be conditioned physically, but mentally. And baseball is can be a very mentally exhausting sport. It really is because you're always thinking, what situation are we in? Where do we have to throw the ball? In fact, we saw it the other night. What game was that that I was watching? And they had the shift on. <clears throat> the ball was slapped down the left field line. The left fielder received it. He picked it up and he's looking and nobody's covering third base. That's a mental breakdown. And when he threw the ball in, and I did this when I played outfield one game, nobody was where they were supposed to be, but I've got to get the ball back to the infield, but I don't know who to throw it to. So I just threw it. Well, that's what happened in this game. He just threw it and it went all the way to the catcher and the runner wound up on third base. That's a mental collapse. Everybody's like, what the hell happened? What the hell happened? Well, you weren't mentally prepared for that situation, but and that's the, you're always thinking in baseball. Yeah. There's a lot of time, 20 seconds between pitches, but when that ball's hit, you got maybe a half to a second to figure out what am I supposed to do? Where am I going to throw the ball? I've got to, I've got to track it down. I mean, it's, that is one of the hardest parts of baseball. And people don't realize that you are always thinking. And before I get into Biden's state of the union address, I was watching the OU inner squad scrimmage just because there's nothing else on. That's pretty sad because I'm definitely not a fan of OU, but I caught one of the announcers, he asked a question and the person he asked it to was like, well, I think that's a really good question. What the hell are they talking about? Because we see it everywhere. Now we see it in the political arena. We see it in the sports arena, turn on the news. And somebody asked, well, I think that's a really good question. Well, I want to hear someone say that's the dumbest question I've ever heard. When you woke up, did you just take a stupid pill or what? And I think of Bill Parcells when he coached the Cowboys and he was asked a question after a game and you couldn't hear what the reporter said. And Parcells just stood there and stared at him. He goes, that is the dumbest question I have ever heard. Then he turned to the rest of the room, said, anybody got an intelligent one they want answered? I missed that type of thinking. And we saw that with Mike Gundy about 15 years ago when this gal from Oklahoma City wrote a piece about him coddling his players and and he just had this big win. I, I forgot if it was Texas Tech or Baylor, but instead of talking about the big victory, Gundy comes out and just blasts the press corps, and especially this girl. Just belittle her, tore her up. He's holding the article in his hand, and 
yeah, I know they're not exchanging Christmas cards, but, uh, I am waiting for someone to say, well, that's just a stupid question. Cause a lot of us at home listen to these quote, well thought out, deep, innovative, exciting questions to a situation. It's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So I will really be happy when I hear someone say, are you just ignorant or stupid? Because I'm not answering that question. You know, we saw that with Trump. He was notorious for that, but then he would argue with that reporter and tell them how bad they were and what an embarrassment they were. It's like, all you have to do is say, well, that's just a stupid question. Who's next? Let's move on. Let's not sit there and berate somebody for two minutes over what everybody else knows was a dumb question. You made your point. That's a stupid question. Who's next? It's all you got to do. And yes, that was one of Don, one of one of Donald's many fallacies. Quit arguing with the press. You can't win that battle. Watch any news channel. If they get someone on there that doesn't agree with them. You can't win that because they got the power to turn you off. It's like listening to Mark Levin and the liberal calls in. Now, good luck with that before they even get their question out. And he has anticipated what they're asking. He just turns their mic off and starts berating them and hangs up. Well, yeah, that went out well, didn't it? I don't think so. Okay. I just wanted to touch on what a brilliant question that was oh what a dumb ass you are be like someone walking into the press room in the white house is it raining in here and someone goes what a well thought out question i'm surprised that hasn't happened morons okay now there was some ir- irony with Biden's State of the Union address, Build Back America. As I said earlier, we had some bad storms rocking through Tarrant County Wednesday night. I just found it ironic that the emergency broadcast system is going off during his speech. It's like, well, for a lot of us, that's kind of fitting because those of us that voted for Trump and not him. Yep. It is a state of emergency. Okay. One of the things that he brought up was replacing lead pipes. Now on the surface, that seems like a really good thing. Doesn't it? We have heard about the effects of lead for how many decades now I can remember it from the eighties. And one of the big things was that China was making toys that were lead-based paint. Remember all that scare? Because most of the paints, and DuPont was one of them, they were lead-based. And over time, they would crack, and toddlers would go up and eat it, and they got lead poisoning. We all remember that? Possibly. So Joe proposes to eliminate all of the lead pipes in the United States. So I went to the CDC just to see how devastating this 
disease is, if you want to call it a disease. And I didn't go through every state. I went through Oklahoma, New York, D.C., Alabama, Texas, which there's no data. New Jersey, Connecticut, California, no data. And what it comes down to is the percentage in Oklahoma of kids coming down with lead poisoning is under, is like 0.02%. New York, and this is based on kids tested, is 2%. New Jersey, 2%. Connecticut, 2%. Alabama, it's again, it's like Oklahoma. It's just not there. Isn't that a state and city issue on lead pipes? I remember back in 2001, Poly 1 pipe was being installed for gas. Gas lines across the United States. It was a big thing. And I worked for DuPont at the time, and we manufactured. That was one of the product lines they had was Poly 1, and they made a bunch of it. Over time, we found out there was a problem with Poly 1. While its compressive strength was good, its shear strength wasn't. And there were explosions across the United States. I think one of the worst ones was in Russell, Kansas, at a manufacturing plant. It was bad. We had, remember those stories on the news of homes blowing up for no reason. They figured out it was gas. It was the poly one. Did the federal government replace that pipe? No. The companies had to replace it. I worked for a company that did that. And there was a lot. Now there was state money. But it really came down to the producers of the pipe. You got to get rid of this and get rid of it now. And there was, they had a timeline they had to meet or they, those companies were going to be fined horrendously. But there wasn't a big federal package that came out to replace all this pipe. And really, the numbers don't support this. Now, if you listen to it, what do you say, 400,000 schools? Isn't that part of the school district's bond projects? Well, yes. Why aren't they taking care of it? Why isn't the city taking care of it? Now, in the and people will say, what about the rural areas? Well, my children went to school in Grinnell, Kansas, which is a very rural area for about three years. The school that my father-in-law went to, they had to shut it down, mainly because of asbestos. There was no outcry. There was no government oversight. The residents got together. They analyzed the building. They looked at what it was going to cost to repair it, and it had lead pipes, and they all made a decision that really hurt, but it was the right decision. We're just going to shut the school down. And this was, I got to walk through that school and it had like 12 foot doors. Because remember, this is before central air and heat. It had radiator heaters in it. There was no air conditioning. 
but they made a choice. So Joe is going to replace all the lead pipes. No, that's up to those municipalities. Who cares? Right to unionize. Wasn't this lovely? Well, let's see how that's worked out recently. Everybody remember that Amazon, the plant down in Alabama, was voting to unionize, and it went down hard. They said no. Of course, the union was all upset. that They said, if we don't win, we're going to contest this, blah, blah, blah. I read through all of the actions it takes for them to vote in the union and then count the ballots. And if you think it's a simple process after reading, it's like they said, it might be two or three weeks before we know the results because we got to go through every ballot. We got to make sure this person works here. We got to make sure this person is eligible to vote. We've got to make sure that if they did vote that they haven't left, and it's a really intricate process, much more intricate than our federal elections and local elections. And it did. It took them three weeks to come up with, with the results. And it was uh, 1,579 to 750. 1,579 was against, 750 was for. People don't want unions, Joe. If we did, we wouldn't have, we still wouldn't have a rust belt up in the Midwest, would we? There'd still be a lot of coal mines open, but we all know what unions do over time. And I worked for one and I'll never work for a union again. You pay dues. Who do the dues go for? Yeah. What do the dues pay for? Well, when people go on strike like they did in, what was that, 2000 and was it 20 or 19 at the GM plant? And most Americans were just like, really, what are you striking for? Well, they're always wanting higher wages. And this is what happened in the 70s. They wanted more money. They wanted more benefits. They wanted more time off. And how did that work out? Well, the Japanese came in and took over the auto market. The coal mines in West Virginia and Pennsylvania got shut down because the price of coal was dropping, but they wanted more wages. Now, I did understand the working conditions because we weren't familiar with black lung yet. <clears throat> but they basically ran themselves out of business. Well, Amazon said no. And there's also Volkswagen in Tennessee. They've had two votes at that plant and Volkswagen's ownership has made it very clear. If you ever unionize, we'll just shut the plant down. We're not doing this. Do you understand? So do you want to work or do you not want to work? You have a good paying job. You've got a, you're making a good wage. You're raising your family. You come in here and say you want a 25% increase in a 5% cost of living per year and every medical benefit that the law allows and five, six weeks of vacation, of paid vacation and on and on. No. 
Unions did serve a purpose back in the 20th century, the early 20th century. Child labor, working conditions, we've seen the films, we've seen the pictures. It was horrendous. And if you got hurt, too bad, because there were 10 more people wanting to take that job. That was the 20th century, and we're way past that with the advent of OSHA that Nixon put into effect. Texas is an open shop state. Yes, they're unions. You got the Teamsters. You've got electrical unions. I don't have to deal with them because I'm in civil construction and not commercial. Commercial, you're going to deal with unions. But when the union decides to strike, guess what? You strike with them. You don't have a choice. This is not a debate. You can see some of the old All in the Family episodes where Archie has to go on strike and things are getting tight real, real fast. You get a stipend from the union. You don't get your full salary. You just get a stipend. Now you really got to tighten up your belt and start pitching pennies. And there were a couple of episodes where they were all excited about striking. And then they went on strike and found out maybe this wasn't such a good idea. No, I am not for unions. I've seen what they've done to the U S I've seen what they've done to a lot of the manufacturing. In fact, when I worked at DuPont, we were open shop and there was a sucker rod plant across the street that was union and they were striking and I was kind of young and naive. I was probably, I don't know, 19 or 20. And my boss was telling me, he goes, you know, they're union and yet we are making better money. We have better benefits than they do. But all they want to do is strike and they usually lose. So they're not getting paid. We're getting paid. So maybe if the owner of the sucker rod company pulled their head out, let's pay a competing wage. And in construction, we we pay a competing wage, which brings up his claim of $15 per minimum. Okay. How's that going to affect the Davis-Bacon Act? And if there are any contractors out there, anybody that deals with the feds, because if there's federal money in a city or county project, you have to follow the Davis-Bacon Act. And right now, an unskilled laborer makes eight fifty. I did a YouTube video on this. Well, let's kick it up to fifteen. Okay. So if you do that, how much are you going to pay that blade operator that's uh, making $22 an hour? What, that's 2.66? You're going to pay him $58 an hour? You do that. You know what's going to happen to construction costs? They are going to go through the roof. And there won't be enough money to do all the projects. Will there? No, there won't. There will not be enough money. So if your city passes a bond package, say 200 million, and they have all these streets lined up, but they need federal assistance to do some of them, and you raise these rates, they won't have money to do them. That's just economics. 
because that guy that was making $22 an hour running the blades is now going to be making $58.66 an hour. And that doesn't include his benefits. And when you raise that payroll, you know what else you raise? You raise the amount that they have to pay on workers' comp insurance. General liability won't change that much. But that worker comp insurance is going to go through the roof. Well, guess who that gets passed on to? That goes into our bid, which is going to raise the price of bidding on the job. So you're definitely going to get less bang for your buck. So go ahead, Joe. Raise it to $15, you economic idiot. Okay. During the pandemic, 20 million jobs were lost. We saw those numbers. Unemployment was horrendous, absolutely horrendous. I mean, think back to when we had the housing, the derivative bust, which was a true disaster, and unemployment numbers were little higher than that. I believe it was like 25 million. And he gets all excited about creating 1.3 million jobs. He hasn't created shit. What he is, these are companies that have reopened and are hiring people back. This, nothing's been created. And for those that want to jump on me, I said the same thing when Trump started talking about the numbers and that employment numbers were going up. Well, duh, they couldn't go down anymore unless more companies closed. Donald, you didn't create any new jobs in that part. And I would call him out and I would say it time and time again. These are people just going back to the jobs that they had. And now we're hearing a lot of people don't want to go back to work because they're still drawing unemployment They're getting their stimulus checks. Yeah, you waited six months to get $1,400. That really saved your bacon, didn't it? Yeah, Joe talked about that. Oh, I can go see the optometrist now because I got my $1,400 check. What were you doing in the interim? But Joe hasn't created any new jobs. In 2020, Trump didn't create new jobs. People just started going back to work because states started relaxing and realizing this is killing us, man. It's killing us. We got to do something. We've got to get serious. We got to open up. We got to put people back to work. So that's just a lie. It's a lie when Biden said it. It was a lie when Trump said it. People just went back to work. Okay. Okay. Oh, and then we got the NIH. Joe said they're going to defeat cancer. And setting up another organization for the NIH to do this is a really good idea. Now, I didn't look this number up, but how many research facilities are there in the United States trying to solve and stop cancer? It's got to be thousands. We want the NIH to do this. Well, they did a hell of a job with COVID, didn't they? 
just like the WHO and the CDC. This is just what we need is another damn bureaucratic government agency to do something. No, we don't. And he even says it in his in his speech at times, how much better the private sector is. Well, we know that the private sector is the one that comes up with innovation. We've had the Department of Energy since Carter. And what have they done? The whole point of setting up the Department of Energy, which needs to be shut down, was to make us oil independent of anybody and trump did it and it was a bad thing by the democrats what a crock of crap unbelievable they never did it spent billions of dollars for what nothing so we need another government organization of bureaucrats that's going to cure cancer. Did hell freeze over? Did I did I miss the memo? I don't know. We don't need that. Isn't that what the CDC is supposed to do? I know they deal with infectious diseases. Well, they didn't do a good job with COVID, did they? I'm not even going to get into... Fonzie Fauci, I mean, my God, he's worse than a windshield wiper. You don't know what what he's going to say from day to day. I quit listening to him to a long, long, long time ago. So, yeah, uh, we do not need that. Okay, the education system, the government is going to pay for four years of additional schooling. But it's not what you think. We have pre-K, right? Well, now we're going to have pre-pre-K. We're going to do what China and Russia and Germany did. We're going to start not teaching, but indoctrinating our kids starting at the age of three or four. Then when they get their high school diploma, they're going to pay for two years of community college. But... He said that 75% of the jobs he's coming up with don't need a degree. You you see a correlation here? We're going to pay for more education, but all the jobs that he, quote, is going to manufacture don't need a degree. And he talks about how every other country is surpassing us in education. Hell, Joe, you, you, you idiot. You were in the Senate for 40 plus years. Everyone's been hooting and hollering about public education for 40 plus years. You haven't done a damn thing about it because you're just incompetent. I'm sorry. I don't mean to it just, where's your head? I am, I'm 61 years old. I got a solid education starting in, let's see, I guess I started going to school in 65, 64 through 78. And I can honestly say in, in an elementary school, we got a really good education. It was solid junior high, 
that was good. We got all the basics, reading, writing, arithmetic, geography, science, history, civics. High school was just as good. It was just as good. Then my niece goes there 20 years later to the same high school, and I'm listening to her talk. Now, granted, she wasn't the greatest of students, but it had all changed. Why? Because of the liberal Democrats. They destroyed our schools. You don't have to go to physical education. Physical education was not an option in my day. You did it. And then they couldn't figure out why these kids were getting fat and they were out of shape. Well, duh. You, this is what you wanted. And then you took discipline out of the schools. And then you've come up with all this gentrification crap that has nothing to do with an education. That's something they can figure out in their 20s, when, in their college years, if they go to college. These inner city schools, the DISD has a $1 billion budget. Go drive around Dallas. Go drive around and look at some of these schools that these kids are in. They are a disaster area. They don't even classify as a war zone. They should be shut down or completely redone. But where does the money go from the DISD? God knows, hell, the FBI tried to figure it out, and they threw their hands up after like three-year investigation. We don't know what the hell's going on. And it's Dallas Democratic City. They do have some good schools in the DISD, but the bulk of them, no. We don't have money for books. We don't have money for this. It's across the country. Four more years isn't going to do a damn thing. And and his no, his wife, no, I didn't research this, but his wife, Jill, who is still teaching, so he says, I want to know if she's still teaching, what type of security detail does she have? I'm sure they're just not letting her waltz into that classroom by herself. Remember all the crap we heard when Trump was elected and Barron was going to finish his schooling in New York in that semester? And oh, good God, the left just lost their mind over it. How much does that cost the taxpayers for security? And blah, 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 blah. Well, if she's still teaching, What's her security detail costing? I will research that, but when I listened to that speech, God, again, for the second time, I just cringed. Who's paying for her security? Oh, and she's going to be over this, this new education pro. What a bunch of crap. Fix what's there. This is what the American people have been wanting. Republican, Democratic, Independent. Fix what we've got. Put law and order back in the schools. Put the basics back in the schools. What a novel idea. Oh, but that's just too damn easy. We can't do that. And we're going to pay for this indoctrination because, as we know, these public schools even in some of the more affluent parts of town are getting infected with liberalism and education is taking a backseat to propaganda. When I was in school and even in college, now granted I was in basically an engineering course. So 
there wasn't a lot of politics. But in elementary, junior high, and high school, to this day, I could not tell you one teacher's political position because that's not what they were there to do. They were there to teach. And then we'd figure it out on our own. I didn't start thinking about politics until I got eh, maybe a little bit in college, but not until I got out of college and started working did I start thinking about the political spectrum. This is what we need to go back to. And I'm sure that Ken and Lisa and Jerry and Patty, who are a little older than me, but I'm sure they went through the same type of school system. They got a solid education. Our kids aren't getting a solid education. I have substitute taught in Broken Arrow for a couple of years. It was amazing what those kids didn't know about history because the curriculum they were given didn't cover it. If you've got any questions or thoughts, you're more than welcome to call in at 888-627-6008. We don't need four more years. We need reform. We need these schools to get back to the basics. We sure don't need to spend any more damn money on it. Lower prescription drugs. Isn't that what Trump was doing? And Joe actually mentioned that's what the last president's administration was working on. Well, he made it happen. Not across the board. You've been there 40 years, Joe. How come you didn't do anything? Why wasn't this a priority, especially when you were vice president? Because you didn't care. Oh, Lord. Listening to that just drove me nuts. Okay. Health care is a right. Did I miss that in the Bill of Rights? I don't know where. I haven't seen in the Constitution. Now, just like Obama, he makes it sound so wonderful and so great. How did Obamacare work out? And I'm one of those, I have not had health care all of my life. Probably, I've probably been covered maybe 25% when my three children were born. I didn't have health care. But then it didn't cost an arm and a leg to have a kid. It was $1,500. Done. That was the doctor. That was the hospital. We're talking, oh, shit, when my kid's born. Uh, all right, we're all out of brain fart. Let's see, 583. 84 and 86, I think. That's close enough. I paid for that out of pocket. 
I got bronchitis. The company I worked for didn't have insurance. I paid for that out of pocket, but it was affordable. And this is one thing Donald was going after. As we know, he didn't have enough time. Remember when he called all the hospitals and the insurance companies together and said, when you talk about this, I mean, that alone is a massive undertaking. So why is it today, 37 years later, that giving birth to a child costs $10,000? Versus 1500 And I bitched about this when Trump was president. Y'all need to start justifying these costs. My back surgery, and anyone who's had major surgery whatsoever, the doctor's bill was $25,000 for four hours of work. And I broke it down and I looked at it and said, I can justify that. I don't have a problem. What I had a problem with was the $125,000 hospital bill for three days. And that doesn't include the next 25,000 I would get for another three days a month later when I came down with blood clots. I want to see hospitals justify these costs. What are your operating costs? What's your profit? The doctor's fees really didn't bother me. When I think of the 12 years they had to go to school, the continuing education they have to take every year, the seminars they have to attend to on new techniques, $25,000 for the surgeon and his team, Okay, anesthesiologist, remember, they keep you alive, and that bill runs about 850 bucks. Okay, that's $200 an hour, 225 to keep me alive. I think that's a fair trade-off. Don't you? Okay. All right. Let's see. I'm not going to raise taxes on middle class. Mike, how many times have we heard this? For those of us in our 60s, how many times have we heard this? It's old. It's not new. Everyone knows the middle class pays the bulk. Is there a simple solution to our taxation issue? Well, maybe yes and maybe no. I'm not an economist, but let's just take Facebook. We'll take Facebook, Amazon, Google, and uh, oh, damn, who was the fourth one that have just raked it up during this pandemic? Yeah, it might come to me. Why don't you just hit them with 30% income tax? flat companies that make over a billion dollars you're going to pay 30 percent i know what the argument's going to be 
If you do that, then the cost of goods would go up. Well, if they reported a hundred billion in profits, <clears throat> they're still going to have sixty-five billion. Now, is that going to affect their investments in new technologies? Perhaps. But everybody was screaming about, and Joe was talking about it. What was it 650 million people earned an extra $1 trillion during this last 12 months? And they're all basically internet companies. They rely on the internet. They're online shopping. There's not a simple solution to this. But the amount he's talking about isn't going to pay for jack shit. We know this. Now, he did bring up this $2.2 trillion that was added to the deficit from Trump's tax plan. Well, that was projected over, I believe, 10 years. But it was added to the deficit, which, you know, when it's if Joe gets these three big plans he wants done, that'll put it at $34 trillion and nobody's going to care. Not really. They don't care right now. Did Trump, did Congress have to pass all those COVID packages? Yes and no. History will have to study this and the long-term effects, which we won't know for another 10 years, whether that was money wisely spent or just a fiasco. We know it did save a lot of companies. Okay. HR1. He kind of glossed over this one. And I've seen the polls where it's like 60 or 65% are in favor of it because they haven't read the bill. I can read the bill and convince you it's a good thing. And then I can tell you what's in it and you'll go, well, that's a bad thing. I've read the bill, 484 pages. It's a horrible bill. This will do nothing. And if it does somehow get through Congress, you can guarantee a lot of states are going to be filing suits against it, and they are not going to accept this as the law of the land. They will fight this tooth and nail as they should. And he just had to bring up white supremacy again. How ironic coming from a white privileged male. That's our biggest threat. It isn't foreign terrorism it's domestic terrorism i'm getting really sick of this if those people on january 6th would have been serious about an insurrection they would have been armed they would not have taken prisoners but they weren't it was a mob of idiots and we've seen the videos where the washington police let some of them in 
I'm still convinced that whole thing was staged. That was not Trump supporters. Okay. There were some Trump supporters there, but they weren't the ones that we know what happens in a mob. People lose their minds. They forget what they're doing. They aren't thinking. Charging stations. He's going to build 500,000 of these. We have 168,000 fueling stations in the United States right now for 284.5 million cars. That's 1,700, what is it, 1,693 fueling stations per car. Joe wants to build 500,000 of these, and if you do the math, that means there's going to be 843 million vehicles on our roads. What the hell is that about? And where's the power coming from? Because he said, we're going to build thousands of miles of transmission lines of clean energy. From where? Where is the energy coming from? You said clean. So is it going to be solar? Is it going to be wind? Is it going to be hydro? Where is it going to come from? Are you just going to take over land across the country and build wind farms and solar farms? You're going to build more hydroelectric dams. Yeah, good luck with the environmentalists on all of that stuff. That'll work out real well, won't it? No, it won't. They'll shut a dam down in a heartbeat. I've seen that happen. Oh, there's a snail darter there. You can't build here. Where's it coming from? And where are you going to put 500,000 charging stations? And who's going to be in charge of this? Because I remember back in the, how was it, the late 80s, Texas passed this emissions law for the metropolitan areas, Houston, Corpus, Brownsville, Dallas, Austin, San Antonio, Fort Worth, Amarillo. You had to go to these state-licensed emission uh, stations to get your vehicle tested. And if it didn't pass, well, you had to take it to the mechanic to get it to where it would pass. I lived in Kaufman County, so I was lucky. They didn't care because we didn't have as much CO2 emission exhaust as what's in the metropolitan area. That's just a given, isn't it? That was state funded. That was state run. That lasted about five or eight years. There ain't a one of them open after that. They all shut down. So right now there's 1.5 million electric cars on the road. I understand that number is going to increase over time because transportation evolves. We've only been relying on the auto for about a hundred years, actually less than that as as the chosen mode of transportation. I mean, for centuries, it was foot, horse, river. That's it. So the automobile, you know, as a mode of transportation for the world really didn't come into being until after World War II. And then, you know, the cars just went wild. <clears throat> just exploded. The 20s weren't bad. The 30s were in a depression. The world's in a depression. But you get out of World War II, and man, here it comes. Boom, 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 boom. But right now, 
so if we have 500,000 charging stations, that's uh, going to service three cars. What's that going to cost? Where are these going to be built? What are you going to do? Shut down the gas stations and take them over and turn them into charging stations? I don't know. Let, you know, go back in the day. Those of us are old enough. Texaco, Gulf, Exxon, not Exxon, uh, DX, Sinclair. They built their own fueling stations to get their product to their customers. The feds didn't do it. Private sector did it. We're not going to let the private sector do this. We're going to force it on people. And when you force something on Americans, how does that work? It doesn't. But he has a lack of historical knowledge. Now, I found this really ironic. If you listen to his speech, it was clear. It, can, it was concise because no telling how long he practiced it. And then you see him in Philadelphia at the Amtrak station celebrating 50 years of a failed government-run organization. I thought that was really ironic. We're claiming how great Amtrak is. They haven't made a penny in 50 years. But let's celebrate that insanity. What a dumbass. I mean, really, are you kidding me? And it doesn't matter who the CEO has been. It has been an utter failure. They took over bad tracks, bad stations, bad equipment, you name it. When the government got involved, it was a disaster. And it's still bad. Remember all the, you know, go back and look up how many Amtrak accidents there have been because of faulty switches, light systems that didn't work. Not enough dispatchers. It has gotten better, but it still hasn't made a penny. And they're wanting to put another $2.9 into this. It will never make money at this rate. And why, I mean, you go back and look at some of the CEOs who have tried to straighten this mess out. And they're very accomplished in their own right. One came from, who is it, CX Carriers? And you see their cars on rails across the country. They couldn't figure it out because it's government run. Which means there's a god-awful bureaucracy you got to go through to get anything done. And then you get sick and tired of it. You throw your hands up and say, I'm out of here. I've had enough of this crap. You people are Dumbasses with a capital D and a capital double S. So I really thought that was funny. And the only rails they have, they have some rails that can handle speeds of 150 miles an hour. And he's talking about 200 miles an hour. We don't have engines that'll do that. Now, if you want to try and compete with Japan and China, on their electrical rail system, which Japan's had the high speed system for decades.
Are you willing to invest that much money in new equipment and rails for this to work? If the government's involved, our government, it will be nothing more than an utter disaster. It will just be another black hole of money going into that nobody knows what it was used for. Okay. Afghanistan. Trump wanted us to be out of there this month. Biden says 9-11 of 2021. I guess we're going to commemorate being attacked in 2001. And this was one of the big areas Trump argued with Mattis over about getting our troops out. Mattis was against it. Trump was for it. Trump said it from the beginning when he ran for office, we're getting, bringing our troops home. And he fought with the generals all the way. And everyone on the left said what a terrible thing it would be. Because the left-wing media said it was a terrible thing. It would make us vulnerable. These areas would collapse, blah, blah, blah. Biden says the same thing, and all those idiots stand up and clap. And I I was going to talk about that at the beginning. I am tired of watching the State of the Union addresses. I said it through Trump. I said it through Obama. I said it through Bush. This is not a game show. This is not a talk show. You don't need prompters. And people would actually write down how many standing ovations they got. Well, if you got a cattle prod in your ass and you're told to stand up, you'll do it. Remember when they tried to do it with Trump and Pelosi was standing up there and pointing at him and saying, no, 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 no. This is nothing but a damn bad game show. When are we going to be acting like adults? If it's a Democratic president, everyone on the left stands up and applauds. If it's a Republican president, everyone on the right stands up. By God, what would happen if we had an independent president in there? Would they just be so fucking confused they wouldn't know what to do and just sit there and go, uh, are we supposed to clap? Are we supposed to applaud? Are there signs up? There's nobody telling me what to do. Help, help. What a bunch of damn sheep. And these people are making $175,000 a year. Idiots, both sides, both sides. No discrimination with me on this one. We're not at a sporting event applauding. Sit your ass down and let them give their speech. Oh, we can't do that. We have to show our support for them. What a bunch of bullshit. Okay. I did like his comment. No amendment is absolute. But he's not going to change the Constitution. That should really have you raising eyebrows. You think? Well, if no amendment is absolute... I guess we're just going to get rid of what we don't like or what doesn't serve our 
political party. And if you're on the left, you think about that. Think about the Fourth Amendment of search and seizure. Oh, it's not absolute. We don't need a warrant anymore. We're just going to come in your house. Of course, Oregon passed that five years ago. In fact, when Oregon passed their laws, they eliminated three amendments. Look it up. I was appalled when I read about it. It's not absolute. What is an absolute? What other changes do you want to do? And of course, he didn't talk about immigration. Other than he didn't talk about the immigration crisis. How convenient. We're going to talk about streamlining it. And he said the last administration didn't do anything to stop it. Really? He met with all those guys down on the triangle and told them enough of this shit. Stop it. Mexico, seal the border. And they did. And Joe ignored all that, eliminated all that. Now we're being flooded every day. I'm glad I don't live down there on the borders of Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, and California. I would hate to be down there. I've been reading stories about that for 30 years and how violent it was getting, and now it's just getting worse. And what was this about building the wall? What a horrible analogy. We're going to, you can't build a wall high enough to keep the virus out. No, but you can build it high enough to keep people out, you dumbass. I don't know what speechwriter came up with that line, but that was a piss poor analogy. Piss poor, and that's being kind. Okay. Yeah, I was real excited over this State of the Union address. Now, I saved this for last. Because I was listening to Rick Roberts yesterday, and his topic was Trump in 2024. I've already stated my opinion on this in many videos and many articles that you can find on LDDJEnterprises.com. And the debate came up last night at dinner. I have friends that will vote for Trump in 2024. That's fine. I am not a fan of this. And people go, well, you voted for him. Yes, I did. But when Biden ran, we on the right bitched and moaned, and Fox News was right in there about Biden's age. Donald Trump will be the same age in 2024, 78. And the average life expectancy of a male in the United States is 77.6 years. My dad was healthy, wealthy, and wise until he hit 78 and had a stroke. No sign of it. Dad's health was perfect. He was good to go, and bam, he had a stroke at a Meals for Wheels pancake breakfast. And he got his mental faculties back 
but physically he wasn't the same man. We've seen Bernie have a heart attack. We're going to see more state funerals in the next four years than we've ever seen before because of the our Congress is infected with the geriatric. I, I even think Lawrence Welk would be appalled at how old some of these representatives are and especially how long they have been serving there. I've done past videos on that. I've talked about it on this broadcast. You got 15 that are 82 and over. That's insanity. So, and a lot of these people called in, just, they were ecstatic. They were elevated. I'll vote for them in 2024. I'll vote for them in 2024. I'm like, no, 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 no. He's going to be 78. Yes, the man has an amazing amount of energy. I just was stunned in that last month of campaigning, how many stops they would make in a day. And he had the same level of energy at the beginning of the day as he did at the end. And I believe we heard he only slept like four, maybe six hours a night at the most. He is a machine, but every machine breaks down. I want to see a youth movement. The right needs a youth movement. So let's say Tim Scott or Ron DeSantos, or if they could somehow get Tulsi Gabbard to come on board. They're in their 40s and 50s. This is what the right needs, is a youth movement. And, they, and Donald needs to take his ego and put it aside I know he's going to say, I was robbed in 2020. Well, you know, it's like when you lose the World Series on a bad call, you lost the World Series in Game 7, which we didn't get a bad call when the Rangers played against the Cardinals. We just had a bonehead move in right field by Nelson Cruz. You need a youth movement. You need to take your base and push them behind people that will carry your beliefs and your ideas and your policies. And they're in their forties and fifties. They're sharp, intelligent, energetic, and it doesn't hurt to be easy on the eyes. That's what the right needs. We don't need a 78 year old running because then we're one and done, and then what? Who's next? Well, if he dies in office, okay, who's going to pick up that candle? The vice president? Maybe. I don't want to take that gamble. I want to see someone like DeSantos or Scott or Gabbard get that base behind them. Push them in, in 2024, in 2028, in 2032. Because the last time that a party held the White House for three consecutive terms was Reagan, Reagan, Bush Sr. Since then, you know, Mickey Mouse got in the fight because Sr. pissed him off, old Ross Perot, Mickey Mouse Jr., and he didn't run once against the Republicans. He did it twice, split the vote, and Clinton wins two terms. Good job, Ross. I know you passed away, but 
you just didn't get your way and you went in the sandbox and kicked and stammered and said, well, I'll just teach them, you little dumbass. Um, no, 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 no. I want to see a youth movement. I want to see a good youth movement, competent people, not just someone who looks good, someone who knows what they're going to do and does what they say they're going to do, just like Donald did. He he met every just damn near every campaign promise he set out to accomplish. Four years was not enough to get it all done. Everybody knows that. I want a youth movement. And I was asked, well, will you vote for him? And it's like, oh, shit. Will I vote for him in 2024? If it came down to that's it, and there's, and no one on the right can overcome that, Yes, but let's think about this realistically. We saw what the press did when he threw his hat in the ring in 2015. It became a shitstorm. What do you think this one's going to be like? It's going to be doubly worse. We're going to hear about all the investigations that weren't completed and the tax returns and Russia and China and Ukraine, all that shit is going to resurface. The DOJ is going to get re-weaponized. And it's going to be four years of utter mayhem and havoc. Racial divisions will be pushed by the left again, only they will really push hard. Trying to make the orange man, the white supremacist, the head of the neo-Nazi party. It's really going to be ugly. And then if it did happen, what chance do you think the right has of getting another person elected to the White House for the following four years? How about zero? Because the country will be so worn out and pissed off that they just won't care. Is that really what you want? I do not. I want to see a youth movement. I want to see candidates that know how to deal with the press like Parcells and Gundy did. Calmly, collectively, and smart. We're not taking stupid questions. That's just the stupid question. Is there an intelligent one over here? I don't care who you work for. I don't care that you're an embarrassment. You don't have to go into that. You get Donald in there in 2024, and what we saw from 2016 to 2020 is going to be a cakewalk because the left will be furious. We on the right will say, well, it served you so. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be in the sandbox fighting with idiots. I want to be standing outside the sandbox watching the idiots fight for the crumbs. So I can just walk away and say, I did what I could. I'm done. 
that's what I want. I don't want another war in the White House. I want a candidate that can bring all of this together. Will we bring the right and left completely together? No. But we'll have a better chance at being able to properly govern. And that's what the founding fathers set this country up for. Yeah, they had their disagreements. You can read their letters. I had to take a course in college and we, I forgot the name of the book, but we had to read a lot of the debates on the floor of the house and the flowery speeches and the more flowery they were, basically they were really telling their opponent, you're just a dumbass. You're an idiot. You're a moron. And if you watch the movie Lincoln, you get to see that when they're only, they're actually calling each other out and what they think about them. Tommy Lee Jones does a great job of telling some of his colleagues how ignorant they are. And, you know, honestly, I wouldn't mind seeing a little more of that in the house instead of you got five minutes to make your speech and nobody's listening. If you're watching Ted Cruz, hell, he fell asleep halfway through Biden's address. I would like to see a more spirited debate in the House, in the Senate, instead of, all right, you got five minutes. I'm going to tell you what I think, and then I'm going to sit down. That's really not discussing the issue. You see a little bit more of that in the committees, but then the, uh, chairperson they're always gaveling if it's the opposing party raising hell and saying you're out of order and this that and the other i'm gonna take that gavel and put it where the sun doesn't shine i'll show you out of order you dumb some bitch and joe said well if you have different ideas well let's argue let's fight well didn't the republicans come republicans 10 go in there and tell them what they didn't like about this last bill and they were ignored. What type of debate is that? Well, it's not. Okay. But Trump, no. Donald, put your ego aside. Look, you say you are an American. You say you are a patriot then be one and don't look at the short future. Look at the long picture. Look at the bigger road you have to travel for this country to get it on track. And it's not you being in the office for four more years. It's the next eight to 12 years or 16. And that means you won't be around. That means you need to take your influence, your weight, and put it behind youth. That, my friend, is what is best for America. I hope you enjoyed this and Tell your friends about it. 
have your friends subscribe because all these broadcasts have been archived, but we did monetize them and it starts at $1.99 a month and you can go as high as you want to, to access everything. I also have a GoFundMe. I've got a Jeff Dawson Patreon account because it does cost money to do this. This is not free. This comes out of my pocket. I have books on Amazon. If you are a reader and I believe I cover every genre that's out there, I've got horror, science fiction, time travel, alternative history, those who enjoy relationships. I have the true story, true love story of my high school sweetheart, Debbie Beck loves true second chance where we, we reunited after 30 years. I have two books on poetry. One is just general. One is called Women of War, which is dedicated to the women who have served not only on the front lines in the armed forces, but for the gals that had to stay home. Uh, I've got a book called Final Delivery, which is a basically it's a short Twilight Zone episode. I also do speaking engagements for my book, Do Your Damn Job. It's a management book. And that's available on Amazon, but I will come to your company at an affordable price. And we can go over any topic that's in that book that you think needs to be addressed in your organization. But I'm not going to waste your time and I'm not going to waste your money. So I do make it affordable. And you can send me an email at lddjenterprises at gmail.com. We can discuss the specifics. I also have two baseball books. And I meet with groups and talk about putting the word fun back in the word fundamentals. In fact, I saw a video yesterday, I think it was called United Baseball United Fans. It was on a uh, Facebook video. And that's exactly what these two guys were talking about is the game is taking, winning is superseding teaching the kids how to play the game. And I've been there when the parents after a game's over would just berate the hell out of Johnny or Susie and everything they did wrong. Never what they did right. When that game is over, the game's over. Let the coach have a few words. Cause when I played baseball, if we lost a game, the coach didn't spend 30 minutes telling us everything we did wrong. And I don't know where this concept came up with, but it needs to go. You can talk to those kids for two, no more than five minutes and be done with it. But I've seen some of these meetings just go endlessly on and accomplish nothing. Absolutely nothing. The game's over. The game's over. We lost, we lost, we'll get them next time. If we won, hey, we won. Back in my day, they took us to Quick Trip and we got a Slurpee. And that, that was a treat. But fun has been taken out of fundamentals. And it's almost come, to me, dumb mentals. We will win at all costs, but we're not going to teach you how to do that. We just want you to win. And the other one, the other speech I give, and we'll come and talk to your group, is I have three books on dealing with cancer because I've lost 
three people. If you look at this, you see behind me the initials LDDJ. L is for Larry. He was my partner at Cadillac Concrete. He died of liver cancer. D is for my dad. He died of, I really forgot what type of cancer he had, but it was all up in the pulmonary area and it was in his neck and it was actually coming out of his uh, cheek. And the other D is for Debbie. She was my high school sweetheart. And we reunited after 30 years, got seven wonderful months together before that disease took her life. But, you know, even though she did pass, if I got to do it again today, I'd do it again today knowing she was going to die in seven months because it was just that wonderful of time. That's all I've got for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. I hope you buy my books. They're all on Amazon. Contact me to give your group a speech on management, cancer, baseball. I'm easy to talk to. Those who know me will agree to that, I guess, to an extent. And that is all I have. So you all have a wonderful Sunday and a I will see you in two weeks. We are signing off. I hope you enjoyed our time together. I know I did. Without you wonderful listeners, this show would not be possible. If you want to know more about me and how my brain works, that's a scary thought. Check out my books at jeffdawsononamazon.com. Websites, LDDJ Enterprises and jeffdawsonauthor.site for upcoming releases and teaser excerpts from past and present publications. You can also contact me at Facebook, LDDJ Enterprises Publishing, or email LDDJEnterprises at gmail.com or on Twitter at JeffDawson59. Have a great week and look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Dawson's Domain.